Chapter Two. Aelitis was the largest city in Midoril. Like all cities holding one or more institutes of magic, it had a domed glass ceiling over it and large enchanted prisms placed all over the city. The combined magic of the two contraptions caused apices, what people in cities holding one or more institutes call their cities, to only ever reflect one hue of colour in a prism at any one time. It caused every surface, every nook, to have the same colour, reflect only one shade of light. The magic made it so that the effect was ever-present, unavoidable, no matter how much you try to shut the dome and prisms out. In a closed room with no windows, a candle would still burn with a purple light, if that was the light of the current prism. Alitiz was the only apex to change its hue, and it did so with every new moon face. The adjustment was celebrated for several days with various ceremonies. Lydikai had not been born in Ailitis, but in another apex, a much smaller one, north along the coast from Ailitis called Jibani. Jibani's institute had been finished during the moon phase Kensaro Manarim, and a convoluted series of calculations meant that the city was to be granted an indigo prism and dome for it. Ori and Apices were often proud of their cities, and loud about it whenever they found reason to be. But they were also aware of some of the prism's effects. Because of that, Lydikai's Yabi had taken him on spirited, sweat-drenched walks in the Kajiza once a week. Why she kept the tempo she did, Lydikai never knew. Maybe she hated those walks more than she let on. Halfway around the town wall, his yabby would stop and make him stare out over the blue-white dunes of the Kajisa, hearing her say they were blue, but never really seeing them as anything but a strange, muddled yellow through his prism eyes. The previous day, Lidjikai had not been able to properly look at the place he was in, or maybe his eyes had still been adjusting from the orange face of Ailitis, but the colours of Nora's quite stunned him as he stepped out onto its morning streets. What had yesterday seemed nothing but blurry grey and blue, now all of a sudden had edges, parts, accents of colour and texture. He had spent a not insignificant amount of time in non-apex cities, but it was a very long time ago. A sting in his chest made him frown at it all. And people were actually outside now. It was by no means a bustling street, but Ori were continuously passing by the inn, some leading Zoni packed with food, some people pulling small carriages behind them. He didn't really know how early it was. The inn had been entirely silent as he left, but that didn't surprise him, seeing as he had heard it being loudly awake almost up until he decided to roll off the pallet and get out of there. He had spent most of the rest of the day downing the Samaras he had left and staring at the door, not caring about really registering any thoughts going through his head. After a while, he must have let down, and drifted in and out of sleep and trips to the dream mist for the entire evening and night. He couldn't remember when he had eaten last. His hunger felt like an animal chewing on his insides.
Just a few yards away, Lady Kai saw a simple stall that made him understand why there was a smell of spicy coffee in the air. Familiarity. A sense of home that had no actual roots. The stall was more of a bar in shape, he realised as he walked over, and stools stood by it on the sandstone pavements lining the street. The ori behind the bar was putting up little glazed ceramic cups in different muted colours on a shelf behind them, and turned slowly as Lydikai scraped one of the stools against the stone as he pulled it back. Moisera, the ori mumbled in a way suggesting she did it very often. But whatever was going to come afterwards was cut short as she looked up at him and saw his face. Her face was very dark brown, creased with age and laughter, and her eyes shone golden beneath a purple head wrap with a yellow pattern. Her gaze traced his founts in silence, before she gave an almost imperceptible shrug, continuing her lining up of the mugs. Food or just coffee? She continued in the same tone as her greeting. Both, Rasa. He sat down, wishing the stool had a cushion. Without any more words shared, he watched her finish preparing. After a few ten breaths, she put a steaming bowl of scrambled eggs, tomatoes and spices in front of him, next to a wooden plate with a golden brown little bun smelling of saffron and dates. And a small mug of cardamom-heavy black coffee. If he closed his eyes and cancelled out the sound of a street behind him, he could almost have imagined being back in Islatiz. But closing his eyes even for a breath too long made him lose his balance, and not hearing the increasingly intense sounds behind him was not even a little bit of an option. So Lidjika remained, undeniably, in a small oasis village in the middle of the Kajiza. On the run. He took a sip of the coffee and almost laughed at how good it tasted. Perhaps mostly at how good it felt. As he lifted the bun, he realised it was lying on a shimmering purple leaf, which seemed to almost be alive in how the morning sunlight travelled across its veins. As the shadow of his hand fell on it, he realised the leaf must be bioluminescent. Not everything entirely familiar, indeed. A lot more lively today than yesterday, he said. The Ori did not stop her work but nodded. A strange day to arrive for you. We had warnings. She said it as if he would know what that meant. Kade, I am... Well, I arrived from quite far away. What exactly were you warned about? A soft chuckle on the border between condescending and kind sounded from the stout old Ori. You are not from far away. She said with a smile, You have just stayed in one place very long. She nodded towards his face and his hands. His hands responded by starting to fiddle with the ear on the mug. We have had warnings coming from other towns in the Kajiza of mist mares destroying, striking from nowhere. She shook her head. Lidjikai scoffed. I'm sure you have nothing to worry about. The level of absurdity quite astounded him. He'd only ever heard of Mistmares going out of the vines once, and that was still all the way up in Dimiri, weeks of travel away. She put down her mug hard on the bar. 
he flinched. As I am sure you do not either, she said, in a very different tone from before. Then she turned her back and let him finish his moisera food in silence. He ate very efficiently. So, he knew where he needed to go, or rather he knew the only place he could think of going. It was not a good idea, but it was the only idea. Crawling back to Taran because he was fleeing prosecution. He felt his entire face scrunch up. Hopefully he'd think of something better to say if he actually managed to arrive at her doorstep. Somewhere in the back of his head, behind fear and nerves and worries, more rational reasons for seeking her out sloshed around like people overboard a sea vessel. If he were to never have what had happened at Egelin happen again, he needed help. And he had needed that help for a long while. He shook the rational reasons away, drowning them in the waves of urgency. If he were going to get to Taran, he first needed to get to the westmost border of the Kajiza. Therefore, he was outside the massive gates into Noras, waiting for another mender to arrive which the guard inside had assured him would come at a certain time, explaining the angle of the sun relative to the wall of the village when you stood in a specific spot. The Dikai had not had anything to attach all the knowledge to, so half of it had fallen out of his head again. He was peering in the sun's approximate direction through eyes pinched into slits, the wide hood of his robe up to create some shade from both the light and the heat. Unfortunately, it came from the sand underneath him as well. He had no idea how all the people in all those bright clothes didn't get blinded by their own attire constantly. Perhaps some other unseen magic took place here. He felt as if that would explain a lot of things, but he couldn't really define what. The general feeling of being off-kilter, perhaps. With a deafening rumble... A comparably small but still massive piece of stone emerged from the dunes about twenty oars length away. Sand cascaded off it, gradually uncovering what looked like half-corroded pieces of blue mosaic to the light of the sun. It settled into stillness above the surface with a sigh that rung out and seemed to echo against nothing. The three guards standing outside the gates, something that had not been the case yesterday, didn't even flinch at the sound or sight, Lydikai realised. He, on the other hand, had jumped high enough to splash a whole little fountain of sand up himself, and his heart was still making the side of his throat hammer against the high collar of his black shirt. To his delight, only a few ten breaths later, Amenda crested one of the dunes on the horizon and approached at its mind-bending speed. Only when it seemed too late for it to manage in time did it slow bringing with it a rush of odorless air which bravely tried to shift the mess of black hair on Lidikai's head. With the sound of a sigh and the tinkle of crystals, the glass dome atop the animal cracked open in the middle and sunk down to the sides, exposing its travellers to the white light of the sun and the sands. A blinding rainbow of light reflected back out from the top of the mender as the dome disappeared, causing Lidikai to avert his gaze, not having seen what had caused the bright kaleidoscope. 
As he tried to get his vision back from the black spot stealing it away, he heard decisive feet march down the stairs that had been pushed up against the mender. People were hurrying off. No, not people in a universal sense. A group with synchronized steps, sounding like delicate stones being rhythmically grinded against each other. Lijikai felt a cold, sharp arrow go through his entire spine as his vision reluctantly cleared. The first wave washing from that arrow was a hollow sigh of defeat. What had he thought would happen? That they wouldn't find him? But, somewhat to his surprise, he felt a rather intense drumming of both fear and anger at the bottom of it all. It wasn't his fault. The thought surprised him into clarity, swept away the defeat. He felt startled by what he realized was an undisputable willingness to defy any attempt to detain him. There wasn't time to further investigate what he meant by the thought. It had most certainly been his fire rushing out of his body, over walls and furniture, perhaps over other Ori as well, if they hadn't been able to protect themselves quick enough. A taste of iron bled through his teeth as that thought came back. It had stalked behind the corners of his mind since it happened. What if some of them didn't make it? The sound of twin blades on a single grip leaving its sheath vibrated into the air like shivers in a gong cutting his thoughts off. There were three of them. The ribs of Calopis, the single branch of executive justice in Eilitis. Eilitis and beyond, it seemed, if they had reason enough. He'd only ever seen them at a distance, during ceremonies, when they flanked the current Diane as she held her speeches, whatever the reason. He kept away from that echelon of apex society for many reasons. Lack of interest to be part of it, chiefly. Also the unhinged fixation on ceremony and ritual as well. A fixation that, apparently, had come with this Diane in particular. She'd held the position Lijikai's entire stay in Eilatis, so he had nothing to compare with. All three were the Ribs' hallmark armour, crystal reflecting the sun in a cascade of rainbow-coloured light. It was difficult to look at them. That was probably the point. Small crystal antlers twisted from the closed fronts of their helmets, the only things with at least a bit of round quality to the armour. Everything else was cut and chiselled, fastened to bright grey leather somewhere behind all that disorienting shimmer and blinding reflection. Dark slits danced at eye level in the helmets. The ribs held their blades to the side as they marched steadily towards Lady Kai. He heard his breath as if coming from all around him. Former Registrar Lady Kai the Sasai you are requested to accompany Calopis' chosen at the behest of the Eilatis Diane to answer for crimes committed against the city and its people. The rib's voice gained an unsettling double tone from the crisp crystal of the helmet. So they had already gotten rid of his title. Made sense. He tried to think. Failed. 
Something vibrated within him, and it felt as if that had been going on since he left Eilidus. Perhaps since before that, perhaps forever. It made his hands shiver against the frayed, burnt edges of the sleeves of his robe. He didn't move. Not away, nor towards them. We have authority to make you comply, should you resist. It sounded as if the Ori smiled as they said it. He hadn't resisted, and still they felt the need to add that. Alarm started to seep through his clenched teeth, spread the taste of adrenaline on his tongue. Reason dictated he come with them. Another reason dictated he run, as if the ghasts of the cold were chasing him. So he didn't move. And he had no idea what to say to this. He's not coming. Came another strangely content-sounding voice, causing Lidikai to instinctively step back. The rib standing closest to him was uncannily fast, and a free hand shot out like a crossbow bolt, grabbing Lidikai's arms just below the elbow. The grip was incomprehensibly tight. The crunch of crystals being ground together screeched in Lidikai's ears. He felt as if his arm floated an inch away from the rest of his body, despite the pounding of blood trying to get past the tourniquet of fingers there. Whatever sense of reason, and however many versions of it had been in his mind, seemed to evaporate in favour of the taste of panic coating his mouth. It didn't stay there. Of course it didn't. He managed to think, just before he lost the ability to stop himself. It always started the same way. Small. Almost pleasant. No, definitely pleasant. But Lidikai knew what always seemed to follow it now. And context had ruined the comfort. A spark, like the glint of rock hitting the fire striker along his spine, a bloom across the back of his head, spreading all the way down to the soles of his feet. Still pleasant, almost overwhelmingly so, definitely overwhelmingly so, overwhelming. The smell of burning leather quickly widening to include skin. There was something strange about it, and Lidikai instantly wished he weren't so adept at knowing how skin smelled when fire hit it. Maybe it was the crystals adding that hint of sickening sweetness to the sensation. He'd never lit enchanted armor crystals on fire before. He split between panic, devastation and limp defeat as the fire became body. Deceptively difficult to see in the bright light of the sun, almost invisible, and manifesting mostly in the twisted shriek of the rib of Calopis, who had realised too late that the armour on their entire arm was on fire. Lidikai was shrouded in it, an uneasy flickering wall around him, trying to convince him that it was there for protection. A thought which was turning into a shout inside his head was repeating that he was just making it worse. It's making it worse. You're making it worse. It was already bad. What are you doing? You are ruining what little there was to save. 
You should get some help for your friend, don't you think? The entire world tilted. The voice was not his and not the ribs. It was more than a voice. It was a gravitational pull, a warping of the senses, a flick of a switch. Vidikai stared, but not as much as the three ribs, two of which had now managed to get the actual fire out on their colleague's arm. The sizzle of burning skin was still in the air, however. Another uncomfortably familiar effect of the fire Lidikai produced. It lingered. An unfamiliar Ori stepped between Lidikai and the ribs, shielding their eyes from the sun with her hand. Half of their straight, blue-shimmering black hair was tied back behind their head. The rest of it hung down almost all the way to their hips. Their clothes were simple, dark blue and black with copper details, and covered their body from chin to below the knee, but without sleeves. A traveller's rucksack was slung over one of their shoulders, and a few smaller bags hung from their belt. There wasn't a single fount on their warm, golden-brown skin, only three moon signs down their nose. Their ears were pointed like Lidikai's, but not at all as long, and thick copper-coloured rings hung in them, one in each. A smile which seemed intentional in ways Lidikai couldn't decipher was directed at the three ribs, who were still staring, motionless, at this Ori. For a few breaths, only the sound of skin being eaten by cinders was heard. Lidikai swallowed. And how unfortunate that your dangerous fugitive escaped. The Ori took a step closer to the three ribs, effectively hiding Lidikai behind them. Right? Very unfortunate, echoed the rib with a burned arm. Lidika tried not to look at how part of the armor seemed to have fused with the arm now. The esteemed Diane will be very disappointed. The stranger shrugged, smile still on their face. Better go prepare a really good speech then. Here she's into those. With collective mumbles and nods. The hurt one holding their arm absent-mindedly, the three turned on their heel and walked towards the gate to Norris. The stranger turned, smiling, turning less conspicuous, more genuine, perhaps, but still coming through closed lips. The lean shoulders of the Ori sunk a little in relaxation. The world rebalanced. The feeling of the air being sucked towards this person abated. Lidikai had difficulties understanding why these things just happened. His mind was trying to do a thousand things at once, some of them to do with calming his founts down, some of them trying to understand what this new person had done, all of it muddled together in lingering dread and lightheadedness. You look like you need help, the stranger said reaching out their hand towards Lady Kai. I'm Crow. Lady Kai watched his own arm mimic the action, like watching an eel wiggle out of your grip, a reflex of social behaviour slipping through the cracks. His hand met the stranger's wrist, as theirs met Lady Kai's in a common greeting. 
He just barely managed to utter his own name in response before a sensation like tendrils around his entire arm hit, chasing up his skin, making him lose his breath entirely. His knees buckled. It felt as if Crow's hand burned against his arm, like skin melting into skin, making him think of the armor half-melted into the rib's body. Crow pulled their hand, as if they had been burnt, which they probably had been, not the other way around. They flexed and tensed their fingers a little, a single breath shooting out of their mouth. <laughs> right. Not a fan of that. Noted. They pointed jocularly at Lidikai, having almost reached out to steady him as he wavered, but changed their mind halfway. I'll try to remember it, Lidikai. A crooked little smile. A wave of nausea hit when Crow uttered his name. Lidikai closed his eyes, tried to breathe calmer, tried to use his own spine as a support instead of some stranger's hands. What do you want? He meant it as a genuine question, but even he could tell it sounded like a warning. Crow frowned, crinkling their otherwise entirely wrinkle-free face. To... help out? To Lidikai's relief, they didn't sound as if they meant that at all, nor as if they were trying to hide the fact. Look, maybe I had my reasons. Let's call it, um... Issues with authority, for now. And you can either stay here, where those ribs will come around in a few minutes and wonder what in the moon's name just happened, or we can both get on this mender and get the fuck out of here. They raised their thick black eyebrows, pressing their lips together in a vague smile. Then they let that smile fall off their face, meeting Lydikai's gaze steadily instead. Their eyes were almost luminescent, he realised. Blue-green and bright. Since you almost gave me a burn from a greeting, you seem capable of defending yourself, if I turn out to be the less than charitable type your eyebrows are telling me you suspect I am. The flicker of a smile again. Lidikai felt himself instantly try to force the crease away from between his brows in response to the accusation. It gave him an instant headache. It mostly caused him to blink a lot at Crow. You just made three ribs of Calopis turn and leave by simply speaking to them. His voice sounded like a chisel hitting a board. Crow's luminous eyes narrowed and they tensed their mouth again. Yeah, they sighed. Fair enough. They turned towards the mender which was going to latch itself into motion rather soon, judging by the two Ori standing by the stairs on skids, waiting for the signal to remove them. Not that I can prove it, but I absolutely hate doing that kind of shit, so you don't actually have to worry. You'd turn me into a kebab a lot sooner than I'd located the desire to tell you not to, believe me. Then... Lidikai sighed sharply having to raise his voice as Crow were moving towards the mender. Then why did you just now? Spur of the moment, self-flagellation, mysterious plans, take your pick, but do it quickly, we're leaving. They deftly leaped up the narrow steps while they shouted to Lidikai. His misgivings were irrelevant. No matter what else, it was still true that he couldn't go back into Nora's, right into the arms of the ribs. 
technically. He supposed he could. He also most definitely should. No, wait, he shouted to the two Ori who had started to remove the stairs. They muttered something he couldn't hear as they had to realign the contraption to the soft, large body of the mender. At the top of the steps, he was greeted by Crow's close-lipped smile and the hover of one of their hands almost clapping him on the back. What does a Ratuya, who, if everything I have seen so far is anything to go by anyway, focuses on fire, need a firebox for? Lidikai had just blinked awake. Disoriented was a massive understatement. He didn't know why everything around him had different colours, why the sky was behind a green-tinted glass, only a few heads above him, why the air smelled like bread and honey, why his bones felt as if they had been ground against wood for hours. Who the voice belonged to? With, judging by Crow's face, comical trouble, Lady Kai located all of this knowledge in his mind, slowly. Then... He saw the black, shimmering little device that Crow was spinning in the hand. It was a solid rectangle with a dimly glowing glass bead in the middle, swirling with the smoke used for all constructs from Ivali Island. At the bottom was a switch, at the top a little stone nozzle. A rare thing. But that wasn't why it was important to Lidikai. Give that back. Crow's lazy smile stiffened at Lady Kai's tone. Answer my question first? You have taken something out of my bag without my permission and you're making demands? Oh, come on, humor me. Their breath caught in their throat as a wave of heat rolled off Lady Kai. They almost dropped the firebox, caught it with their other hand and dropped it back into Lady Kai's bag which stood beside him with its lid flopped back, its inside gaping open. Wow, okay, definitely misjudged how much a nap would relax you there, my bad. A breathy, short laugh shot out of them. Lidikai put the bag on his other side, flipping the lid back over it with as much sound as he could. The little smack did not match the energy of the motion at all. To not say or do anything more that would cause burn marks on the arms of the wooden seat... Lady Kai turned to look out at the landscape passing by at staggering speed outside the glass ceiling. It was becoming evening. The sun was beginning to slowly set over what Lady Kai realized was a changing landscape. They had already made it all the way over the desert. He had never come this way from the Midrail coast. Felt the enormous Kajisa shrink in his mind's map of the continent even though he knew it was mostly due to the unmatched speed of the large centipede they were on, and the skill of its handler. Sand and jagged parts of forgotten history were turning into low trees and thorny brambles, which turned more lush as they went, a greyish-purple grass covering the ground. Vidikai didn't even know Menda went beyond the Kajisa. For one long, cramped inhale, the realization of what he was doing struck him. 
and the proximity to the stranger in the seat next to him felt like the darkness at the very end of a tunnel, impossible to gauge the distance to, and terrifying for it. Ever been to Kanda before? Lidikai was admittedly surprised at how unaffected by the tense moment just a few breaths ago Crow sounded. He shook his head, still keeping a glance out the window. Then you should probably watch this. He saw that Crow nodded towards the front of the mender, and he briefly entertained the thought of not complying. But then he sighed, perhaps at himself, perhaps at everything else, and looked. He realised they had been cresting a hill for a while, and had now just made it to the top of it. Behind foggy air in the distance loomed the gargantuan grey snakespine mountains, the jagged divider between yellow and white midoril. Further south, it divided red midoril and bloodmore. The flat ground in front of the mountains only served to make them seem even taller, like a jaw closing across the sky. From the vantage point of the hill, which the Menda was starting to move down from, one could see farmlands and smaller settlements around them on the large stretch of land leading up to the city, towering in the distance. It was breathtaking, and Lady Kai was grateful Crow had made him look. The pink light of sunset was trickling at the edges of the horizon, making the mist shrouding the mountains seem warm and cool in turns. The Mender travelled at the speed of any mount now, and Lidikai thought he heard complaining noises from it once in a while. Every time that low rumble sounded, the handler reached out to lovingly caress the metallic green of the animal and made a low, comforting cooing in reply. As they came closer, navigating through farms and low clay houses, it was possible to make out the wall of Kanda, and the sunset had not yet washed away all nuance in its colours. Beyond an ocean of colourful ori heads, house roofs and awnings rose the many ori tall wooden city wall. It was painted in blues and reds, the motif of vibrant landscape of floral patterns and colour-sparkling birds with tail feathers which went on across an entire mountain chain. Along the top sat ornate turrets, with similar birds but carved in wood, wings enfolding the sides, offering both cover and majesty. The city gates were bolted open to the wall, allowing for a constant river of people and their animals to pass in and out. Lidikai felt his lips part in a stunned, awestruck exhale. Hylitis could not brag enough about how colourful it was, what with its actual changing of its hues once a moon face. It couldn't compete with this. He had never seen colours this bright and this different next to each other, covering an entire city. He tried his best to ignore the smug smirk on Crow's face that he glanced in his periphery. There was snow high up there on the mountain peaks, but down here was a basin, a warm, sweet-smelling cauldron. The handler was moving her animal into a large enclosure outside the wall, where several other mender with travellers getting on and off were. No natural or dug watering holes, but large, round metal troughs lowered into the grassy ground for the mender to drink from. 
Lady Kai and Crow were sitting in the front, but people from further back were already moving into a queue to get off. The two Ori in the front were putting their fare into a brass box that the handler had strapped to her seat. She nodded silently to her passengers while easing the mender into a free spot in the stable, her moustache twitching all the while. Crow yawned, large, loudly, and what looked very performatively to Lady Kai. Fucking pits, I'm beat, they sighed out. What about you? Sleeping the entire trip? Are you going to stay up all night roaming the streets? Lydikai couldn't tell if they were being serious or not. It kind of sounded like a joke, but not quite. And what did he know? Maybe that was something Crow usually did. That sounds unwise, he tried. The small attempt at a smile not reaching beyond a twitch in the corner of his lips. Crow ran through a series of small expressions that all seemed to try not to laugh at Lady Kai. So, an in, then. Lady Kai briefly thought in an exasperated manner if the rest of his nights would be spent in inns from now on. Less unwise, hopefully. Crow let out a short laugh. Yeah, never know with this place, honestly. They stood up, patting themselves down with a not very apologetic shrug to the handler, who didn't move a muscle in her face, glaring tiredly at Crow. Then, after both the handler and Crow had impressed Lidikai with how long you could keep her, to him, unbearably uncomfortable stare going, she shifted her gaze to Lidikai. Her eyes were green, the skin on her ruddy face tanned and rough-looking. She'd taken off the straw sun hat she'd been wearing before. You the latest unfortunate running into the path of this back pain? She nodded towards Crow. They, um, helped me out of a situation. Ludica cleared his throat. It's true, I did do that! Crow sounded surprised and nodded encouragingly towards the handler. The handler simply kept her glare at Lady Kai. Whatever you owe them, get out of it fast. You know, I've never heard you complain before, Claire. Crow's jocular tone was tinged with something a lot more acidic now, and Lady Kai instantly tensed at it. That's because you're a piss-poor listener, bird. Fuck off. The words were a lot sharper than Lydikai would have expected, a snapshot trap of a bite back. Crow visibly rearranged their face away from it, quickly. They turned fully to Lydikai, face back to the veil of amused indifference. As you said, helped you out of a situation. That's got to be worth at least a mend affair and dinner, right? Right. Lydikai didn't enjoy the uncharitable feeling that underscored that word and hoped it wasn't audible. He wanted to be alone, somewhere quiet. At least that's what it felt like. Who knew what would come out in silence? He swallowed, put the requested amount of glass beads in the copper box under the combined glare of the handler's unimpressed stare and the content smirk of Crow towards her. You have been here before... Take us to an inn, then, he said, as they had descended the mender, and the number of Ori moving through the space became quite palpable to Lidikai. 
Maybe it wasn't so much the number as the fact that no one seemed to care if they were pressing up against you in their mission to get to their destination. He felt like a fish moving upstream, even though he was standing still. Crow seemed unbothered by the battering by passers-by. They were almost a head shorter than Lidikai, but still seemed to stand taller than him in some weird, illogical way. Lidikai shook his head, closed his hand tight at the trickling in his founts covering the back of it. I saw the number of beads in that pouch. We're going to the red letters. Lidikai briefly considered telling Crow that, contrary to what Crow might hope, that number of beads was not in any way self-replenishing. Then he took a deep breath and followed the high tail of Crow's hair through the noisy, warm swarm of Ori. <laughs>